everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. Noah and Stu here. We're doing something a little bit different this week. There's no guest. Um, at, well, maybe a surprise guest joining us in a minute. Maybe not. But for now, it's just me and Stu. And with the pre-national meet coming up this weekend, we wanted to introduce something new to the D3 Glory Days repertoire. We are bringing you top 10 rankings, top 10 team rankings for NCAA Division Three cross country on both the men's and women's side. And through our special algorithm, through our stat department, all headed up by Stu Newstat here, who, uh, go ahead and say congratulations, recently engaged this weekend. Congratulations, Stu. Thank you, thank you. We are gonna bring you our top 10. Now, before we get into this, a couple caveats. Stu and I were talking off air about how difficult it is to assemble rankings so early in a cross country season. When we were in college, we had a saying, the snake is long, which implied that nothing really mattered until November. And so these rankings are kind of a speculative game. We'll get to know these teams a lot better as we proceed deeper into the season. But these are kind of the 20 teams, 10 men, 10 women that we have our eyes on. Stu, what do you what do you want to say about it? Yeah, first we'll have this linked in the show notes, but a part of this data was brought to you by Bijan Mazahari. He developed a really cool website called Lactic, where you can simulate different races, including the whole national meet. Let's say you want to simulate the pre-national meet this weekend and throw some teams in there. You can. Uh, we took some liberties, though, in some of that and did some more research, not that I know more of the algorithm, but stuff that was, you know, sometimes you don't want to be Michael Scott and listen to the GPS and you turn into the the lake by accident. So we used his rankings, we used some results, we used some guessing games and a little bit of, okay, if they ran this last year, then and they ran faster this year, surely that means them, they and their team are better this year. Those types of scenarios. And it's like a, I mean, it's a huge data set, right? It's almost impossible like to factor in everything, you know, talking five to seven people per team, all the teams in the country, all these races, different terrains. We're we're just kind of doing our best. Yeah. And, And a cool thing about also his website is that he was able to find the common denominator which is a 5k and basically use that as like the benchmark. It's way more in depth than I'm giving it. It's a whole algorithm. It's a whole coding system that goes over my head, truth be told, but it was really cool to be able to use that. And so, yeah, as Noah said, this is just our first stab at what the rankings are through the first month of the season. A lot of you aren't running 8k's or 6k's for your respective distance. So trying to calculate out what a 4K would be to a 6K and a 5K to an 8K gives you a headache. We try to figure out matchups, but I feel like as we get into October and November, when the races actually get going, we'll have a better idea of where these teams stand. For this weekend, as Noah mentioned, pre-nationals, we're going to have a lot of teams be there as well as Paul Short. That's that's out east. I know a lot of teams are going to go there too. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting time here in cross country because after this weekend, you skip a weekend and then all of a sudden it's like the pre-regional, inter-regional weekend, skip a weekend, then it's conference, skip a weekend, regionals, and then nationals. So 
for those of you who haven't started your speed work yet, or the season's still really long, if that's your excuse, you're running out of time here soon. One last point before we get into it. If you are an athlete out there listening to this, just remember that these rankings are absolutely made up and they don't matter at all. Um, <laughs> so you can, you can prove us right. You can prove us wrong. We're just here for your entertainment. Don't take it personally. Yeah, we're not, we're not the ESPN guys who make a living off of this. In fact, I'd be happy if my rankings are wrong. That means you ran well. So I guess that means other people wouldn't have ran well, but regardless, we try not to show any biases. We try not to show we're experts. We just wanted to add some flavor and fun to the D3 mix with some top 10 rankings later in the season, we'll get to the top 32, but for now we're going to start with the top 10 as we get more data, we'll get bigger as we all get more information. Yeah. And if you don't like where you are, just, you know, flip the script. That's what Stu and I used to say in college. Uh, so, okay. Who runs first at nationals this year, Stu, men or women? Oh, geez. I'm going to say the women. Cause I think the men ran first in 2019. So, but that would mean potentially the men would run again first in 2021 since we skipped last year, but I'm going to go with the women run first this year. Okay. We'll assume that the women run first this year. If we're wrong, again, this doesn't matter. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's start with their top 10 rankings. And I think we probably should work from the bottom to the top. And in, in the 10th spot, um, you're familiar with this institution. You've got Amherst here. Yep, I have Amherst 10th. I think they're pre-ranked in the top 10. They haven't ran their full squad yet. but And they also beat a Williams team that wasn't at their full strength. But you kind of factor in who ran through Williams and when Amherst beat them, they line up pretty well um, given the Purple Valley results. They also aren't with their All-American Sophie Vollmer. Uh, So far, she she hasn't raced yet. I think she will be racing, you know, sometime this season, but for now they're out without her and they're still running pretty well. So top 10 team right now, add Sophie in there, who knows what they could be but they're running well without their top runner. You think Sophie is out with an injury or just being held back in the early season? Uh, I don't think she's hurt. I haven't heard anything. Um, probably more of just a, you know, NBA load management, making sure she can get through the season. She did a 10 K five K double. And I know she's a little bit high mileage. So probably just trying to make sure she gets to the end of the season. And this is a point we may make, you know, again, as we get through the rankings, but you know, as you look at the postseason, really nothing matters in the, in the early season meets. They're all just kind of check-ins, fitness checks. And so if you know you've got a stud, it's worth holding him out and keeping him fresh until the end of the year. I want to say points don't matter. I guess your head-to-head record doesn't matter until the second week in October, that regional, interregional, that's when they're going to start taking into account, at least the committee, at least that's what I remember that weekend is when you need to start beating people to have a good resume to be selected. And especially this year is going to be really important. As we all know from the regional preview, moving to 10 regions, that means only one auto team. So that's 22 at large bids. So this is going to be uh, pretty hectic this year. 
In our number nine spot, you have a historically great program who may listen to this kind of shaking their heads, wondering why they're so far down the list. But you've got Wash U here in yeah. number nine. Wash U number nine. I can honestly see them moving into the top five with just how strong historically of a program they have. They do have a, you know, if you look at all the other teams, a pretty senior and junior heavy team, which is going to think fair well for them. You know, they ran at the Tom Hoffman invite up at Wisconsin Whitewater uh, a couple weekends ago, and they ran solid. Their pack went one through five, perfect score. However, you know, nothing flashy in the times, but if you look at some of the top women, they may not be who some of the top women in WashU have been in the past. You know, they've had the national champ before. So it's going to be interesting. They're going to be a big pack running team this year. Their spread was only 23 seconds, one to five. So I think that's going to be key in them moving up the races. I know coach styles likes to have them move up later in the stages of the race. If you, if you look at their splits from recent national meets, it's pretty, that's pretty key in their racing strategy. So I think we'll see the same from them. So, you know, a number nine ranking now wouldn't be surprised if they're a top five later in the season. I think another interesting thing when you see such tight pack running in a team is you wonder if that's intentional, like maybe a low stick is kind of being held back to run with the group. Maybe, you know, a regional meet, a national meet comes along and all of a sudden those athletes are kind of unleashed to kind of race their own race. And, you know, you end up with a couple of low sticks that you didn't know were, were actually there. Definitely. Yeah. When, you know, a lot of these teams could be, you know, going up and seeing courses and not wanting to race full for a course. And so they'll do a progression run or a tempo. So even then, you know, it's kind of hard to tell what type of effort this was so early in the season, but as we keep saying, the effort matters in November. And the number eight spot is a team that you kind of have ranked here based on how they've competed with other teams in, in the top 10 and how they are relative to them. And so we have Bates in the number eight spot. Yeah, this could come as a surprise, but probably maybe not for Bates, though. Um, they had a small meet with Tufts early in the season. It was still a 5K. Uh, if you look at the results, Tufts did run their top runners. Um including Daniel Page and uh, Megan Davis, who both ran at the Purple Valley invite. And Bates ran well. They scored 26 points. There's only three teams involved. But times, again, times weren't flashy. But if you factor in how they matched up with Tufts, Tufts was only 13 points away from MIT. I think we're looking at a team that could be top 10. You know, if you kind of factor in by... Um, was that the transitive property we were taught in, in high school? So, I think that was Pythagorean's theorem. Ah, uh, you're right. The Pythagorean theorem. I get those <laughs> two mixed up, you know, I do too all every day. <laughs> so that's where I give, give Bates, you know, again, another team that, uh, they have a front runner in Jillian Richardson. And then they have a few that ran as a pack, which is going to be key in now that there's no longer the new England region, they're the out East region blanking it off the top of my head right now. So looked and see Bates move up here um, as they continue to compete. I'm, I think they'll leave Maine and head down to the Con College invite this weekend or in two weekends from now. Number seven, we have a team led by a, a young runner, which is always kind of an X factor, especially leading into the postseason. Katie Klein leads number seven ranked Pomona. 
And so that, you know, you see that early in the year and it's a great sign, but you also wonder how they're going to do in November. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I know the West coast and the, the, the West and the former, I guess there's still the South region always get a lot of flack for maybe not competing or being the strongest regions, but I think we're going to see the, the rise of the West, if you will, the Pomona ran super strong where their men's team also ran really strong. Uh, they came out and beat some D2 schools and some maybe some D1 schools if I don't know what uh, Azuzu Pacifica is. But they had two front runners in Katie Klein and Genevieve Tabiri, both running 2103. You know, obviously it's cross country. We're not sure the course is like it's California. It could have been a perfect day, could have been super, super flat. You never know. But you factor in two women running 2103 and then having a gap of just a little over a minute, you know, that's going to get you pretty low at the national meet, especially if you factor in them potentially being top two, top 15 runners, and then having a pack that's only 25 seconds apart, three through five. So that's, that's pretty close running there in their backpack. So who knows what that course is like, but when you're running fast, Louisville's going to be a fast course. I think that'll bode well for them come November. Running fast always bodes well, regardless of what the course is. Fast is fast, I think. And in the number six spot, MIT, this is a group who is probably uh, tearing our algorithm apart as, as, we, uh, as we speak here. Um, but they've competed well with the number five team, who we'll get to in a second. But why do you have your eye on MIT? I, I've heard sometimes that they struggle late in the season. Yeah, that's true. They do. They have historically struggled a little bit later in the season, um, coming off hot and you know maybe having a really good summer and then fading towards the end of the year. But MIT ran well at Purple Valley. And for those that don't know, Purple Valley is Williams's home course. I was able to see it in 2019 when I was there, I think a few times for coaching at Amherst, as you probably all have heard by now. And it's a tough course, you know, it's, it's not a course where you're going to run fast at, um, for example, Daniel page, who's a multi-time all American only ran 2241. But if you look at what she did in 2019, she ran 2337 and then ended up running, uh, 21, 25 to finish sixth at the national meet. So that's the type of course that it is an MIT, uh, actually put two, uh, before Williams's second but then Williams kind of had a, a stronger pack there, but still only 13 points behind Williams and have two runners in the top seven that ran similar to what Daniel Page ran previously. So you got to factor in that they got to be fit. You know, I don't think they're going to have two top six runners, but you run an equivalent to what Daniel Page did a few years back. You got to think that there's something good going there in Cambridge. You mentioned Williams a couple of times as being competitive with MIT. You have them slotted in just above them at the uh, number five spot. Yep. They beat MIT by 12 points. The th difference here though, for them is that they're going to have a front runner in Jenna Gerard. She was an all American in track as a first year, and she only trailed Daniel page who I just mentioned by four seconds. So you got to think that Jenna Gerard is going to be a top 10 runner at the national meet. And so you need to have that and a pack that Williams has, you know, they're second through five is only 15 seconds apart. So you throw in a top 10 runner in a pack that's close together like that. Again, that's a recipe to do well at the national meet. You have a low stick and a tight pack. So, and Williams led by Pete Farwell, 
always runs well later in the season. And so I think that's a good check-in point for them to run well at the Purple Valley meet as they head into, you know, some of the bigger meets coming up. Number four, your home city of Chicago. Um, looks like they face some pretty strong division one competition, which of course we don't like to talk about much on this podcast, but if you need a barometer, uh, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. So this one, Chicago's kind of a little bit confusing because, you know, some of these schools I've mentioned, like they've been running fast or they've had a tight pack. Chicago did a split squad this past weekend. They sent a group up to Michigan and a group went to the Gil Dodds meet and they do have a pretty good front runner and a relatively close pack, but they're not really running super quick. However, they competed well against a strong D one field, you know, Michigan state was there. Grand Valley state was there, which they're, they're D two, but they held their own. They were fourth in the invite beaten D one teams like Youngstown state and Bowling green and, and central Michigan, you know, so mid major D ones, maybe not the strongest in division one, but when you're, when you're starting to compete against some teams, maybe above your fighting weight, as they say in boxing, you're going to have a strong season. So I'm, they also are bringing back three women who ran faster than 1750 on the track. And they have a fret in the first year who's, who were ahead of them mm-hmm. at this, uh, at this cross country meet. So you factor in that's four women running 1750 or faster. You know, I think they're going to have a strong, strong year. I think that competition factor is super important. I mean, we talked about how far away November is at the beginning of the season, especially, and there's so much time for these athletes to improve their fitness um, just to get better. But if you can show that you're competitive and have a competitive spirit early in the season, I think that honestly bodes a little better than having that high end speed and running those top end races. For sure. And, and that's the end of the day, that's cross country for you. You know, you're going to have to compete. You're going to have to, it doesn't really matter what your time is. If you're, you know, going through money course and times are irrelevant, it's all about where you place. And so they're starting to place pretty well right now. And Chris Hall over there, he's, he, Chicago always does well at the end of the meet too. I keep saying that, but this is why these teams are historically good is because their coaches prepare them for the end of the year. And, and that's, and they know that that's when it matters. In November, you never know what kind of weather you're going to get. It could be horribly cold, could be windy. And a team that knows something about those competitions, we ha- those, those conditions, we head to Iowa. You've got Wartburg at number three. Yeah, Wartburg number three. The women's team has been on the rise these past few years. And someone that uh, is going to make a big impact for them is Riley Meyer. Aubrey Fisher, as we know, won the steeplechase this past uh, spring. And uh, Corinna Collette has been an All-American a few times as well. And she actually beat them at the Lace Duke invite. So now you have three front runners running together. And uh, the thing that worries me is from three to four, it's a little, little under a minute. Um, but then those four and five are right there together. However, then if you factor in what I've been saying earlier, you take three front runners and then have a minute back you know, it's even a better recipe. And so that's why they're number three. Uh, it's going to be tough though with Warburg. They have a schedule where it, they don't, they're not going to see anyone really until two weeks from now. I don't believe they're going to, they're not going to the pre-national meet. They're hosting their own. And then in two weeks, they'll go to Augustana where there's going to be some competition. I know mostly Midwest schools because there's no longer the Oshkosh invite this year. So I know Washi will at least be there. So 
we know Warburg is good and this, this applies for the men as well, but we don't know how good until they can get some competition. Yeah, that's that's the fun thing about these rankings. I mean, you can look at low sticks. Everybody likes to talk about low sticks, but the meet is going to be won by athletes in that three, four and five spot. And so we need those we need the packs to tighten up. And, you know, those athletes are going to start feeling uh, some pressure this time of year. Definitely. And as we move to the top two teams, I mentioned this earlier, the West is coming and they need to be prepared you want to sell, tell everyone who number two is, and I'll go into why. As the West continues to rise, we have Claremont, Mud, Scripps in the number two spot. Yeah, and again, this goes with Pomona as well. These courses they're running on are blazing hot. They're fast. They're running ridiculous times. But you got to factor in competition as well, as we've been saying Claremont at, and two weeks ago, they beat Arizona, they beat UC Irvine, they beat UC Riverside, they beat USC, they beat Arizona State. So they're beating big teams. Now, USC, Arizona State, and Arizona may not be the biggest powerhouses in distance running, even though Des Linden went to Arizona State. You know, they're beating D1 programs. And so uh, they're led by Meredith Bloss. She was fourth overall at that meet. So they're you're beating a really strong field. And she ran 2031 at that meet. And right behind her in seventh uh, was Riley Harmon. So you have two right there. Actually, their top three, as we're looking through this, we're in the top 11. And so one through three split was 11 seconds from 2031 is 11 seconds. 11 seconds. So you have three, boom, 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 right away. And then their four or five is a little back. It's about a minute back from their third. But as we've been saying, you know, you have some really strong talent up front. You just got to get four and five across the line as fast as you can. And their average time was 2056. Again, it's out West. It's probably perfect weather. It's probably super flat. But as we mentioned, it's always going to run fast. And so having a division three team that average a 2056 regardless you have to be ranked high you know it, it, unless the course is short and something went wrong claremont mud script should be a force to be reckoned with this fall and the only reason they're not ranked number one is because number one ranked team you got to lose yeah to regain to relinquish your title so Stu, you just you just told everybody who the number one ranked team is. It's Johns Hopkins, the defending national champions. How could they be anywhere else until they prove us wrong? Exactly. They they did you know lose a lot to graduation, but they will have uh, their All American back from the spring. Ella Baran. We talked a lot about her. In our track coverage, she ran really well in the 15 5K. You know, actually, I saw Ariel Kecklack. She's actually running at Utah, um, funny enough. So Utah D1, they ran really well the other day and, and saw that she was in there. So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up at Johns Hopkins. But you don't have a dynasty without having people fill in big shoes. And so it's going to be interesting. I know Johns Hopkins will be at the pre-national meet. However, they're not racing the d3 competition they're going to be in the gold race so Ooh. at least they'll be in the same course we can kind of see 
where their times fall. But then again, they're going to be potentially in a faster race, could get dragged out a little bit faster. But this will be a true test to see where they're at compared to D3 field D3 teams based on uh, at least they're on the same course is what I'm trying to say. Hey man, winners win. Winners know how to win. The program knows how to win. It's, it's really hard to discount that, you know, somebody looking at this might say that they're carrying extra pressure. I guess we'll see. uh, We'll see that, how that affects them once they get to the 6k distance. Yeah. And then I'm going to do, I know I'm going to go off script here and give you an honorable mention. I'll give oh, you, two, I'll give you two I teams. I don't have that in my notes. I'm, I'm scrolling here. You're, yeah. catch, you're catching me by surprise. I'm gonna do, I'll, yeah. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Thank you. Thank you. We mentioned Tufts, Tufts, you know, only 12 points back from MIT. So they're on the cusp of being a top 10 team. And then Dickinson, uh, Isabel Cardi is back. She was an all American in track ran really well. So I have Dickinson on the cusp as well. So there's a little off script action for you. All right. There you have it, guys. Those are the top 10 heading into this week's pre-national meet. We are going to roll the music, give you a break, and we'll be right back with the men's top 10. Welcome back from the break. Noah and Stu here. We just told you exactly how the women's national championship is going to play out. You practically don't even have to tune in in November anymore because we just told you how it's going down. Now we're going to do the same for the men's side. Number 10, SUNY Geneseo. We've got three guys returning who have run under 1450 in the 5K. Yeah, this was a tough one because I saw that the coaching committee had them at number three. And I was trying to figure out why, and that's no disrespect to Geneseo. I think both the women and the men's side is going to be really hard to call this top 10, or excuse me, very hard to call the top 10 this year. So I think this can, might be even an under, under ranking for them. Uh, like, like Noah mentioned, they have three guys coming back running 1450. So far this year, it's been hard to figure out where their top guys are running. Looks like they've been using a lot of split squad action. They've run, they raced every weekend, but not their top guys haven't raced every weekend. Looking at one of their most recent ones on September, uh, at the Dartmouth, at Dartmouth, they had one, two, five guys right at, excuse me, seven guys right at 26 minutes or faster. Um, there's a three team meets that seven in the top 14 ended up actually losing to Dartmouth because Dartmouth went one, two, but they gave Dartmouth a run for their money as they put seven guys ahead of their number five. I don't think Dartmouth is running their top guys. Um, if they are, then, you know, maybe Dartmouth isn't that good, but are we calling out, are we calling out Dartmouth right now on the, on the D3 podcast? Or are we yeah, calling, maybe are stick we to school these, there. We guys. should call these scrubs out. Yeah. Stick, <laughs> stick to school. Uh, but no, they have a, you know, not only does, Geneseo have three guys coming back that ran 1450 or faster. They also have a few guys that have freshman eligibility that most likely were our first year. So they're going to be an interesting team to see. I can see them moving up. We most likely underrated them, but someone had to be number 10. You think there's any wisdom and kind of flying under the radar in these early season meets, you know, kind of spreading out your guys, not really showing your full hand. I think so. And, but uh, you know, it lets your team kind of release itself of its rankings, even though that the coaching committee has them at number three, you know, you can kind of say that as like, Hey, we're ranked third, but we haven't even raced our whole top squad yet. So there is a, you know, a good strategy to that, but also you also want to get your guys comfortable 
whether it's your men's team or your women's team running together, you know, split squatting is also can be, you know, tough to figure out your rhythm with your teammates and all of that. You know, they only have a couple of races left. I don't see it affecting them too much, but to go under the radar, like you said, and, and not show your full cards, I think is a, a good call. Yeah. It'll be interesting, interesting to see how the chemistry in some of these teams develops, you know, teams who haven't been racing, altogether number nine we're going to start to see a lot of these teams you know who were also in the women's top 10 ranked in the men's top 10 we've got you chicago yeah i'm looking at it right now it's like oh man it's gonna be identical but when yeah, just, teams... just re-listen to the women and just fill, <laughs> fill in the gaps yeah you chicago you know this maybe is under ranking as well but again they their three guys haven't really ran together either uh their three-headed monster is henry myers sam craig and 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 sai uh shittagen again some of the women they did run up at some d1 competition they also split squad the guys that go to gil dodds so it's kind of hard to see where their full team is that definitely wasn't their varsity that ran at gil dodds because uh north central just whomped on them so i don't think it was their full team there but you, when you have three guys that are running really well, Henry Myers beat a bunch of um, strong uh, 14 teens runners at that uh, meet. So again, not really sure where to put you Chicago. I feel like there's some other teams performing a little bit better right now. And so I want some more information from them. Hopefully we'll get that here this weekend or in two weekends at, at Augustana, but for now they're number nine. All right, here we go. We're going to hear from the alums on, on this next one, I think. Number eight, we have a dynasty, the most historic program in Division Three men's running, North Central College. They were kind of written off earlier in the year. They've been ranked uh, much lower than eighth in, in some th things that I've seen, but they seem to be climbing as the season goes on. Yeah, it's interesting with North Central because from the track season, you were looking at them and you're like, wait, this is all North central is right now. You know, you weren't getting the six guys at 1430 or faster type of situation. You didn't really have that much of an upperclassman presence as well. Really only Gabe Pommier was the presence. And I apologize if I missed anyone else who's an upperclassman, but you know, he obviously won the 1500 at the national meet. Uh, and you had a slew of guys for North central that, were freshmen that were anywhere from 15 minutes to 1550. I think they had 13 or something like that. And so you put an Alcarius type system to 13 guys that have run between 1510 and 1553, you're bound to find some guys to come up and uh, start performing. And that's looking like they have, they have some freshmen and some sophomores that are stepping up behind Gabe Pommier. And yeah, North Central looks like they're going to be back. Uh, I was kind of doing some info or some digging on Gabe. Um, I was doing some info or diving on Gabe Pamier's stats. He's run 13 seconds faster than he did um, previously at Gil Dodds um, the year prior when in 2019. Um, and as you recall, they almost came back and won the national title. He was 33rd, but he also didn't have a national title under his belt. As Thanos says, North Central is inevitable, so we'll see what they can do here late in the season. Yeah, this is a team who knows what it takes. No shortage of motivation, you know, to run for Alcarius. And, you know, as the program begins to head in a new direction, you know, these guys still have history on their side. So we'll look to, uh, we'll look to them to move up as the year goes on. Uh, in our number seven spot, 
we have a team that seems to have some runners who are making some pretty big jumps. And so that makes them hard to rank. We have Wisconsin Whitewater. Yeah, I might get some flack for this. So Whitewater actually beat Wash U. Um, you'll learn why I might get some flack here later. But yeah, David Fossbender is their top runner. He was sixth in the nation last year in 2019 in cross country. Uh, he ran Tom Hoffman. He's run 30 seconds faster than he did when he was sixth in uh, 2019. So you got to think there's some improvement there. His teammates have also improved as well and moved a little bit closer to him. They beat Washu by just one point. It was a small field. So in a bigger field though, uh, cause Washu did put six in front of whitewaters five. So in a bigger field, that's going to be a bigger impact. And so that's why number six, I'm going to take it right from you, Noah. That's why number six is Washu. Uh, Jacob Ritterhoff's going to lead that squad. He was in the mix for the 1500 meter as well. Um, similar to the, so the women, you know, Jeff styles is head coach over there. They're going to move up. Uh, they had a tight pack of 26 seconds, one through five. And so when you have a front runner who's been in a big national meet situation before you've got to like having that as your leader. Um, as I mentioned, only they're lost to whitewater by one. I see that changing though, when you get to a regional type situation, also to head back to Whitewater, it's gonna be interesting to see what the WIAC looks like. Usually you have a lacrosse, uh, Eau Claire. Uh, is, this, is this the year Whitewater comes back on top? I know they're thinking so. Yeah, these are battles that are gonna be decided on the margins and you have uh, you know, those number four or five guys sitting, sitting at home right now knowing that it's gonna come down to them to really uh, move up in the D3 glory days rankings, because that's what it's really all about at the end of the day. Yeah. You don't uh, want the coaching committee rankings. You want the D3 glory day rankings. Yeah. I mean, they might as well not even run the national meet after we're done here. Uh, number five, moving into the top five. Now we have another team with a 26 second split, another yes. tight pack CMS. Yeah. CMS. And we're going to touch on uh, the team here in a little bit, but before I do, they ran really well at the UC Riverside invitational, um, they were beat out by a, another D3 school, but I'll get to there. But yeah, their pack right now is very scary. They're 26 seconds, but they're, there are three guys at that meet were one second apart. And so you go one through three, literally in a pack, and then you're only uh, 25 seconds from your number four and five. That's going to bode well. They also ran really fast as well. We mentioned that on the women's side. It never hurts to not run fast. They had a five-man average of 24.50. So I see them moving up. I think they, they were what six or fifth in 2019 and they thought they could have done better. They're going to be strong. They have a chance to be a trophy team. I think they're right in the cusp right now. Cause I think some of the other teams ahead of them might be a little bit faster based on what we've seen at previous results, but I wouldn't be surprised if CMS walks away with a trophy. I like their one through five split and they're led by uh, Illinois guy, actually miles Christensen. As we head deeper into the top five at number four, I, I think these guys are going to be kind of disappointed. Oh, they are. I know further. they will yeah. be. I know we're I know we're going to hear about that, but we we head back to Frigid, Iowa, and yeah. we check in with the Wartburg men. So Wartburg, they're ranked number one by the coaching committee, and rightfully so. They are very good. They bring back basically everyone, as we know, from Joe Freiberger, and they have a potential national champion in Joe Freiberger. 
honestly, I could see them even be number three. I'm not really sure why I put them four, but I'm going to give them some motivation they need because they need two random guys on a podcast saying that they're number four for their motivation. Uh, they could easily win. That'll, the that'll wake them up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they could easily win the national meet this year. And I'm going to say that I'm just going to put them fourth for right now. Uh, as you mentioned, they put four in front of Spencer moon. He's a sophomore from Simpson. Uh, he ran 1426. So you, you theoretically have four guys running 1426 or faster right now. Um, again, like, like their women, we know they're good. We're just not going to know how good they are until that Augie meet when they face off some of these top 10 teams, not to discredit them by any means. You know, we mentioned in the podcast with Joe, they put a lot of pressure on themselves the last few years as a team. And I hope personally, I hope they can get over that and, you know, and have some fun with it and try to do well, because, you know, when you have a group of guys who have been together for so long and you've come up short, you know, there's so much uh, passion and just this drive to get this. So they're fourth. Now I wouldn't be surprised if in a few weeks we have them number one. Yeah. So much of this is handling pressure, especially when you get into these top five teams and, you know, basically every team here is going to have a low stick. Who's going to be thinking about winning a national title. And so they're juggling not only their team's ambitions of a national title, but also their personal ambitions of a national title and you know those two things go hand in hand if you can handle the pressure pressure and handle your business uh you give your team a better chance to succeed so hopefully joe freiberger has got his feet up at home just relaxing getting ready for november we move to number three the algorithm has been rewritten at this point by the women but now the men are checking in from mit yeah mit ran super well at Purple Valley. And we make a reference to Purple Valley just because of how difficult the course is. So to give you an idea, in 2019, Aiden Ryan, who's been on the podcast, ran 26.07 on that course at that same meet. Two weeks later, he runs 23.56 at Connecticut College. And as you know, finishes 10th in the nation. He was a favorite MIT has two guys that ran 2611 and 2618. So that's four seconds and 11 seconds slower than what Aiden did. And they have another that's two seconds back. So they have three guys that are 13 seconds within Aiden Ryan's time of 2356. And he was 10th in the nation in 2019. So that's a really strong one through three and a very difficult course that has proven that you can run faster at a flatter course. And so that's why MIT is number three right now. Uh, their one through five split is 39 seconds. And when you have two guys up, three guys up there that have run really well and 39 second split, it's a good combination. You brought up Aiden Ryan. That might as well take us to our number two seed. Williams, we've got a really strong one-two here, plus a good group of freshmen, but that's always a pretty big unknown. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I think, the third team I'm going to mention that could be number one. Like, this top four, especially on the men's side, it's a toss-up right now. Even on the women's side, it's a toss-up, one through four. You know, it's just we don't know all of this right now. Uh, and Williams, you know, Aiden Ryan and Elias Lindgren both ran – sub 1355 this spring and they were going to be the top two teammates really of all time MIT put two in between Elias and Aiden uh not sure if Aiden's 100 yet but then 
10 seconds back from Aiden was their number three. And then their five came in 10, 12 seconds after that. So you're looking at a 23 second split one through five. And I mentioned that Aiden ran 26 Oh seven in 2019, his teammate Elias ran 26 Oh nine. Plus you add an Aiden that's right there. You know, that's a really, that's a strong combo with MIT involved. So again, it's going to be, it's going to be chaos figuring this out. Yeah. Elias has a couple wins under his belt. And I think, uh, I think Aiden is on the up and up. So we'll get a much clearer picture here um, as the weeks go by with, with Williams moving into the number one spot, much as it was with the uh, women's rankings winners win. How can you discount last year's champions? We have Pomona notched in here at number one. Yeah. Again, you, you have to get beaten to give up your title right now. And so to give another team, the number one, I don't think would do its justice to Pomona. As we mentioned out West, these courses are blazing fast, but it doesn't hurt to run fast. They had a five man split, excuse me, they had a five man average of 24, 32. They lost, um, to a few D two schools. And then this most recently they beat, uh, Chico state Chico state is the number four team in D two. And they ran some of their top guys who do have PRs of 30 minutes on a cross country course, 10 K. So they did beat the number four team in division two, uh, a, a note to when they ran, um, that UC Riverside, they had two guys beat Will Lear's Pomona Pitzer cross country record. Who? Will Lear. You should know Will Lear. Has he been interviewed by D3 glory days several times? I think, I think so. He was the guy with the gray hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. gray. Yeah. Super but, old. Yeah. He, he's run fast before. So to have two guys beat Will Lear's school record. And I believe that year he was a top 10 guy. Um, you're in the, you're going in the right direction. Not only that they're super deep. They have like 16 guys like running 25, 20 or faster. So it's going to be their championship to lose. And I know we've been getting stats about one through five. So if you look at their top two guys that were, you know, less than two seconds apart from one another, their three, four, and five uh, were 37 seconds apart. So CMS actually did break up their three, four, and five, but obviously when you have two front runners, that doesn't really matter. What about the coaching change at Pomona? You think that's having any impact? Oh yes. Our, our favorite guest of honor, Jordan Carpenter, as you mentioned in the regional preview, no longer coaching at Pomona. They're probably uh, better off to be honest. <laughs> Some would say, uh, their <laughs> Sorry, assist- <Jordan. laughs> yeah, their assistant who was there for that 2019 championship Kyle Flores he's taken over which you know does bring some familiarity to the program at least you're not bringing in someone brand new with this huge pressure to repeat you know that I'm sure they're having practices the same as when Jordan was there Um, and so while it is weird to not have your coach that helped you win a national title there you still at least have someone from the coaching staff that knows the ins and outs and most likely was a really easy transition. It's never easy when you lose a coach to another school, but at least they get replaced by someone who's there. And that's a wrap on the men's top 10. Stu, do you have any final thoughts or honorable mentions before we uh, roll the credits? Yes, I do have some honorable mentions that I want to get to. Uh, We talked to them in the spring. John Carroll, 
Uh, I want to say they're going to be on the outside looking in right now at top 10. They're sixth right now uh, from the coaches association, which I think they can get there. Alex Phillip won the all Ohio meet, won it all outright. He beat all the D1 schools. And for all you OAC people out there and Ohio school people, let me know if that's ever happened before, but that seems pretty significant for a D3 guy to be the overall champion of all Ohio. It looks like Jamie Daly, he is back for a fifth year, it looks like. However, he might be banged up as he was running in the open race at all Ohio. So they're all, they are without Jamie Daly in their varsity. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do, um, what they can do once he's healthy. And then lastly, Johns Hopkins, I'm going to give them a little shout out as Bobby Van Allen, uh, notorious with the women's team. Johns Hopkins did lose a few guys last year, but they looked strong early on. And I was almost putting them in the top 10, but decided against it. So there you have it. That was great. Round of applause, please, for Stu Newstat. Thank you guys for tuning in to uh, listen to our rankings here today. You got the top 10 men, the top 10 women. If you disagree, have a comment, let us know. Choose an email at d3glorydays at gmail.com. You can uh, interact with us on social media. We'll be posting these rankings to Instagram and Twitter. Let us know what we got right, what we got wrong. Stu, you have anything to add before I say it? Oh, you can check out our website for rankings as well. You can check out our website for rankings as well. Until then, here's to the glory days. Thank you.